0: Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind-the-scenes journey of their experience. Hello, welcome to Impact the World, where my guest this week is Dave Markowitz. Dave and I go back around a decade now, and he is a beautiful and impeccable healer who works very closely with sensitives, empaths, and gives sensitives and empaths tools and ways of healing and also ways of being in the world that will allow them to not be encumbered by their gift, but instead thrive through their gift. So I know for many of you who tune into my work and this show, Uh, this is going to be right up your alley. If you do enjoy the Impact the World show and you want to support us, because we are an independent show, you can do that by either hitting subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, or if you're listening over on Apple Podcasts or any other platform, if you subscribe, rate, and review us, it helps us reach more people. So thank you so much for doing that. You can find out all of Dave's work at davemarkowitz.com. We will put the link to his website and some of his work in the show notes as ever. But for now, I hope you enjoy this healing conversation with Dave. Dave, it is so good to have you here on Impact the World. Thank you for coming and talking to me for the show today. Of course, thank you excited well we we go back i realized this morning we go back nine years we met of all places in las vegas in 2012 Uh, we were both uh, invited onto the virtual light broadcast with which was steve steve rother's broadcast and we were both being interviewed and so i met you that morning and i loved what you were doing when i saw you interviewed and explaining your work i was fascinated by your work but we also connected on humor you and i so it was kind of a a really nice meeting and we've we've stayed in touch ever since but what hit me as i was driving here today to, to have this conversation with you i remember even in 2012 for me in this field the word empath sensitive These were terms I was just coming to terms with in myself, just slowly and beginning to recognize that pattern in the work. And yet that was something that you were already providing work and tools and awareness around. So I salute you for that. And I think it's the first question I have for you is what is it like to be in the world now doing the work that you do and more and more people are becoming aware of those traits, and coming to people like yourself for support and guidance with those traits. It's great. I don't have to explain what it's like to be an empath any longer. <laughs>
1: so yeah, it's just becoming um, much more common, um, more understood. And I think one of the most beautiful things about it is many people that i work with and myself and maybe yourself as well, we feel very alone in our being. And one of the nicest compliments I get from people who have read the book, I mean, it's great to hear things like I've had X, Y, and Z, pain or illness, and it's gone and that's beautiful. But the thing that really gets me in the heart is when someone says, I don't feel alone anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think as this becomes more and more known, that feeling, that connectedness of what we're all really a part of, becomes more tangible. So that to me is just super
0: exciting. When did you know that you had this high sensitivity or this empathy was it from childhood or did it reawaken in you at a certain point i
1: was probably either in denial about it or just didn't know anything about it or i don't know but at one point shortly before we met actually several people would just sometimes approach me out of nowhere and say things like you're really empathic and one guy kept saying you're an empath you're an empath and it was like one of these scenes out of a movie and he followed that with, I'm the head of the Portland meetup for empaths. And I know an empath when I see one. And I just kept saying that nah, nah, and nah. like, I really didn't own it at all. I, I just, for whatever reason I fought it. And uh, I guess my empathic awakening, if you will, was uh, I was invited out to a friend of a friend's birthday party. And I didn't know till I got there that it was uh, seven bars in seven hours, one of these bar crawls. I really hadn't drank since college. So, was, you know, I wasn't we super prepared for it, but, you know, whatever, I went in Rome. Uh, and at the end of the night, I had um, I had ex- the experience of being drunk, and I didn't drink any alcohol the entire night. And I finally got in a cab, and in this sort of semi-lucid state, I don't know what to call it, uh, the message came very clearly, like, this is what we've been trying to tell you. You know, spirits just saying this is what it's like to be an empath and things get ready, put your seatbelt on. And from that moment on, uh, I would say every new person that came to me, because I was doing more traditional medical intuition, more traditional generalized energy healing prior to that moment. And as of that moment until now, everyone that comes to me resonates with being empathic, highly sensitive or intuitive or, or any combination. So just real shift, you know, and, I mean, and I feel grateful. And of course it can change tomorrow, who knows, but for right now I'm just writing it,
0: it's great. It's beautiful. And how did you get into the medical intuitive work and, and the work that you were doing at that time? How did that all begin?
1: Uh, out of frustration, like many people probably listening. Um, you know, I have nothing against Western medicine. I think they do an amazing job at what they do. However, it is limited, just like I'm limited, just like everything, every person in some way is limited. And I had an ailment that they could not diagnose. They couldn't prescribe anything. It was just over and over and over. And, um, you know, it kind of forced me into finding alternatives. So I started out with the so-called more traditional alternatives. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but uh, acupuncture and holistic chiropractic. At the And you know, I didn't really grow up with any of that stuff. My dad was a pharmacist. So for every ache and pain, there's a pill. And eventually I just realized that's just not working any longer. So I had to really reach out And i started doing massage therapy and um after getting my license working on people i would start hearing and intuiting things or work on someone's back and out here they're really angry at their father and i I would just dare myself sometimes to say have you had a fight with your dad (laughs) recently or or whenever and it was always on you know and which was just more confirmation of these intuitive abilities coming through And eventually it just became something that was so common. And then I realized there was this phrase for it called medical intuition, which I don't really use anymore. It's kind of too generic for me right now. I think most people know what they're dealing with. What they really want is intuitive guidance on how to reverse or how to heal it. What's the actual cause of it? So I try to focus on that as much as possible.
0: And were you ever thrown when this was happening? I'm often asked the question, Was I nervous when I started channeling of the channeling itself or was I nervous of what other people would think? I'm asked that all the time. How, how were those two things for you? Well, no problem at all. (laughs) 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 Not true.
1: Yeah. like I mean, sure. It was, you know, you don't just walk around on the street corner screaming out, Hey, I can channel source energy. Come here. Um, you start out pretty quiet. Well, I start out pretty quiet first person. So, uh, Eventually, it became appreciated enough that I was able to kind of just step into a new way of being with it, and um, you know, it was more of a contrast channel, uh, a little different how you do it. You know, when I'm hearing things, uh, the Dave part of me is right. Then is right. You know, is still there. Like I can filter something if I wanted to. Of course, I don't. But uh, it's not the kind of thing where Dave leaves the building and just his body and voice are speaking. So i like it because it's a little it feels it feels right it feels so good and um just to be able to help people with things they've been struggling with sometimes for years or decades just by channeling the right words even one sentence can make such a big difference uh, i've been on the receiving end of that as well and of course you know in the part um, practitioner end of it so it's just you know, win-win. So, you know, I still don't scream it on the corner, but it it is on my books, on my website, et cetera. So, you know, there was a guy who had this quote a long time ago where he said, where you're learning like a pocket watch, only take it out when asked what time it is. And I just kind of resonate with that. I don't need to scream about it. And, you know, people know, people can feel it the empaths in the room always find me before they even know what I do for a living. If I'm in a group of people, next thing you know, there's three or four empaths around me and they're just, I can just feel there's a resonance there. And eventually, you know, we find out why.
0: It's beautiful. I've I've worked a lot with um, encouraging, guiding, offering support to people who are stepping out with their work in the world. And the one thing I've always said to people is, you get very worried or we get very worried about what are people going to think. And the beauty of it is people are very quick to deselect you if there is no resonance or if you are of no value to them. So you don't have to worry too much about the people who think what you're doing is crazy because they're not going to spend a lot of their time in the resistance state of just focusing on you. They're looking for what they need too. So I, I love how we all find our tribe in that way.
1: Yeah, beautifully put. Uh, I will, on occasion I do get someone who announces they're a skeptic right from the beginning. And I say, Great. I would totally welcome that. I say, I am too. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's do some work. You know, <laughs> let's see what's really underneath it. And it always leads to, you know, I really encourage people to be as authentic with whatever they're feeling, even if they're angry at me, just to speak it. Sometimes having that hurt is a healing in and of itself. And often it shows something to me that. You know, what's underneath, what's going on? Is this a replication of a prior pattern making itself known right now? Mm -hmm. So I really bless it, like skepticism, resistance. um, I'm all for it. I look at resistance more like a detour sign on a road. It's going to take a little bit longer to where we want to go, but we know we're going to get there safely. And so there's no fight anymore. I'm done with that. I'm still
0: done fighting. (laughs) I love what you're saying too, because it it reminds us of the multi-dimensionality of all of us because i do think sometimes people assume because you use your intuition in your life perhaps or with your friends or perhaps it's your job that therefore there's no skepticism in you but actually we're all a little bit of everything depending on the moment depending on the scenario we've got this very linear training and view of what a human being is and yet for me we are shockingly complex. I mean, we're simple in some ways, but we're shockingly complex in terms of how many perspectives and dimensions there are inside every person at every moment. Beautifully put. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I remember when we first had lunch, I think I can't remember if it was 2014 or 2015, I was in Portland, and you shared with me about your book, which is called Self Care for the Self Aware. And What I loved about this book that you created is you published it independently, you self-published, but it had this incredible following and you sold many, many copies. And the only reason I bring that up is because I think so often we, certainly in our generation growing up, the only way to perhaps reach people was going through traditional models or, or media outlets or publishing houses. And yet here you were having this very evidence-based successful book and if i can just quote some of your bio it was in amazon's top 20 for 41 months which is almost a whole year it's it's no mean feat the the tagline for your book is a guide for highly sensitive people empaths intuitives and healers and it was your second book if i'm not mistaken is that right,
1: Dave? right. first on empaths and sensitives but second overall and I remember you saying, uh, that was, that's a great title, Dave. You should roll with that. That should be an invite with your workshops and your next, your next book should be the sequel, part two. Uh, I should have listened to you.
0: <laughs> no, not necessarily. I, I, I guess I, there's two questions I have for you. One is a bit more personal about the book. And then the other one is a question I like to ask on behalf of our listeners and viewers. What propelled you to write a book and figure out all the steps it would take to self-publish what what was the drive and and what was that experience like because i'm sure many listeners and viewers are either in that process right now or have perhaps done that themselves yeah um my first
1: book did pretty well and it was done through finthorn which is a pretty major mm. uh, outfit and they had the first right of refusal on the second book which was the self-care for the software and they weren't interested So after my ego was done being mad at them, uh, the other part of the ego said, now what are we going to do to get back at them? (laughs) 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 Only partially true. Uh, It was just guided, really. It was, you know, this is what needs to happen. Um, So I went with a company called Balboa, which is a subsidiary of Hay House. And, um, of course, like many, with the hopes that Hay House was eventually going to pick it up, um, they didn't. But that's totally okay. Like you said, it's done really well and I think it's a really great introduction to this world and I you know was able to see the commonalities that so many people that I was working with were dealing with and their own characteristics emotional states etc it became really obvious that this has to be brought to a bigger level than I can possibly do in one-on-one sessions you know which are great but obviously a book can go a lot further and and for much less money so that's a, you know it's a win-win so I did that book. And again, 41 consecutive months It was, uh, I guess that's almost three and a half years. Near it takes. So, um, you know, I was really proud of it. And yet, you know, you know this because you're always creating new things, new albums, new books, new material. Um, the, ne- the only one you focus on is the most current one. right? <laughs> it's the best one by far, right? Uh, so the, new, the newer book, which came out in 2018, Empathopedia, Is a much more detailed version of what's in self-care for the self-awareness So self-care is a great intro for a lot of people still doing really well selling a lot even here in portland the local bookstore is always contacting me for copies Uh, the follow-up is a lot more detailed Um, it's called empathopedia so that's something to look out for as well and i do have a new one coming out i just started writing it this week So, you know, when you first start writing something, all the resistance shows up. So I'm dealing with that right now. (laughs) But I think I'm going to guess fall of 2020, it should be out. And um, that's going to take it to the next level.
0: What are some of the resistances you're experiencing if you're willing to share any? Because that's something we all go through as creators or people bringing things into the world. Yeah, totally. Uh, On the outside, it looks like checking email. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
1: having this conversation with me. (laughs) All the above, Um, it can result in looking at the you know going to the kitchen pretty often. Um, But what's really cool is through my awareness practice, I catch it pretty quickly, and sometimes I just feel in and say, "Okay, does this need to be written right now?" Because some people's creative time is like 9 a.m. every morning. Some it could be any time. I'm the latter. It could be three in the morning. It could be three in the afternoon. And if it's not flowing, it's just not flowing. So I step away, do some yoga, take a walk, whatever, and come back. And then usually it starts flowing again. There's also the background noise of how am I going to edit all this? Because I have all these points all over the place in my head. And how am I going to get it all on paper and then edit it? But like the last book, it always happens. I remember when I was doing the final edits on the last book, I lost track of something and spirit said, it's on page 74. <laughs> like, why am I worried at all? Right? The answers just showed up. So I went to 74. It was exactly what I was looking for. It needed to go to like 121 or whatever. So copy and paste. So, you know, when I catch these things, you know, when I catch the mind drifting or the fears coming up or whatever it is, I try to just be with it, right? Just kind of see what's there. Is it telling me something? deeper do i need to look at something is there a grief coming up is there a fear coming up it's probably a better answer than my first answer for this, right? <laughs> to this How do I really deal with whatever forms of resistance are there how do i embrace them and what are they really about and what are they showing me like and, and not to fight them right mm. not to you know what's wrong with you get into that self-critical mode it never works never will so a little self-investigation if i can't feel it i call a practitioner and they're happy to tell me oh yeah you're worried about this and then i go back to that same thing like what am i worried about spirits got this whole thing all worked out already i just need to step into it
0: well and it's interesting because something hits me as a memory as as you saying that i remember many many years ago probably 2008 or something the z's were talking about our acts of creation and they said, the one thing that many of you forget is that there is a timing of this thing for the world too. And so some of you are like beating yourselves up that you can't finish this thing on the deadline that you had in mind. But they said, as soon as you set in motion with a creational act, something that you want to share with the world, everything starts lining up for when when it's the right time for the world to receive it too. So I, I've always remembered that one whenever my own mind has wondered, well, why isn't this working right now? And it's like, well, maybe it's just not time to. So we need all the help we can get with mental resistance, I think. (laughs) But The other question I wanted to ask you that's a bit more general, and I guess many people who tune into a show like this are already aware of what being an empath or a sensitive is, but perhaps not everyone. So could you give us a little bit of an overview from your perspective of, of what characterizes us as an empath and a sensitive? I know it's a big topic, but perhaps just a few headlines would help some people who are new to the process. Sure, I think I can do it pretty quickly.
1: A highly sensitive person, pretty literal. Sensitive to environment, to feelings, to other people's energies, to world events, you name it, it could be anything. For me, an empath is someone that takes it one step further. We don't just feel what's coming in, we actually embody it. So if we're not um, trained well, if, that's, if I can say that, if we're not really skilled with these uh, abilities, we kind of walk around saying, I'll take your grief, I'll take your fear, I'll take your anger, and then we digest it. We wonder why we're having digestion problems. right? We're kind of eating all these things and just, thank you, thank you right? It's my job. And that's, that's the common belief underneath this um, process is it's my job to be there for everyone else. And while that seems nice, it's really quite material, it's very damaging to the self. And there are ways of working with this that I've really honed in on that still allow each of us to be caring, to be nurturing, to be in our hearts, to be there for others, but also take care of our own selves so that we're not being drained by other people. So um, maybe I had a little longer explanation than I thought it was going to be, but Beautiful. I think it's important to know to know this and that there is a way through this. You can't get around it. If it's if it's who you are, you might as well make friends with it and learn the best. You know, some people are born musicians. Doesn't mean they stop learning about it, right? You jam with other musicians. You take a music theory class. There's always something else to learn. So I've really found that using the steps that came to me. People can be their true, authentic, best versions of themselves and not get burned out. That's such a common trait. Um, all kinds of pains and illness are based around this self-burnout kind of thing. And it's it's just not working any longer. We really need to question this conditioning that we learned when we are younger most of the time that says, you know, everyone else comes first.
0: It's really dangerous. Mm. Everything you've just described, I've, I've, I've had some experiences of myself, but I've worked with a lot of people who have shown up in all of those areas. And one thing I've noticed is it can be challenging for people to let go of that identity, specifically the empaths. So for example, there can be a line of thinking with a lot of the empaths I've worked with. Well, if I don't do that, then who, are, who am I? And, 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 and I guess when you mentioned martyrdom, I, I, I can kind of correlate that as how they're perhaps holding themselves in place in that way. Have you? How would you help somebody who perhaps identifies with what you just said, mm-hmm. but has placed all their value on that ability and are not yet quite willing to see that there could be a different way of doing it that could actually give them their life force back?
1: I tell you. Well, first thing, great question. Thank you. First thing we have to do is acknowledge that that's there. That's the form of resistance that's showing up, and it could. It's often very subtle, but it comes out through the processes that take people through, where it's so obvious that you know we have to do something with it. And a lot of times I'll ask directly. So, who will you be without who you you know these characteristics of who you've been? And you know the mind can easily go into, well, I'll be free and all this kind. And and sure, that's true. The deeper reality is most of us don't know. We don't have the experience of what it would be like to not be who we've been. So a lot of fear comes up and then the mind comes in and tries to micromanage it. And that never works. So I invite people to say, let's be in the unknowing. If we can trust in your divine connection, your spiritual self, let's co-create who you're meant to be. As opposed to this idea of who you think you are or who others need you to be. So, actually, embrace that resistance more than figure it out, micromanage it, get over analytical about it. There's usually a fear underneath it. And often we get to that fear and we process that fear, or it could be a sadness. And we process that energy within, you know, in the safe container, of course, that is what really creates the true freedom then we have an experience. And then most of the time when I'm working with someone, even in a short period of time, they can say, oh, wow, that's what it feels like to be free. You know, they can feel it in real time. That's super
0: exciting to me, yeah. It's funny hearing you say all that. I'm reminded of times in my own life where I had my resistance to changing my way of operating. So before I started doing one-on-one sessions with people, I hadn't really paid attention to the fact that I would go and do my day job all day and then I would come home and normally do at least two hours a night on the phone with at least two different people uh, pretty much every night of the week. That really was a very much a counseling relationship and I had put myself in that pattern and I don't regret it because it was me learning, it was also what I needed, I can tell. But there came a point when i realized especially when i started doing this for work i was like oh hang on a second and again that martyrdom or the unconscious martyrdom can kick in and so i've met some people who had that perhaps more chronically than i did but there seems to be this idea or belief that runs through healers empaths sensitives that we have to save the world And I know for me, a huge breakthrough was when I realized that was A, not my job, B, not possible, and C, no one person is going to do that. And to actually just be present with all of it, like the mess, the darkness, the light, which I think previously I'd been in resistance to, and I'd wanted to uplift or clean or heal or move the energy in the room and was doing that very unconsciously so that all comes back to me when i hear what you just said yeah yeah it's good it's a good memory and i'm glad you learned from it right um i would love for you to save the world (laughs) (laughs) i would love you to (laughs) (laughs) somebody um (laughs) how how we have have to work on ourselves yeah of course
1: and it's just a reminder because it is such an important point. You know, Marion Williamson had that great phrase, when we work on ourselves," I'm paraphrasing, when we work on ourselves, we unconsciously liberate others to do the same. And it's a, you know, a ripple effect outward. And yes, it's scary when you look at the sh- shape of the world and, you know, it is what it is, but at the same time, each individual, if each individual person does what they came here to do, right, I think we'd get through it a lot quicker. Now, we don't always know what we're here to do, and that's part of that process of co-creation, narrowing down. I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not that. You know, Neil Donald Walsh had a great, you know, always repeats. You find out who you are by finding out who you're not. In the world of contrast and duality, it's hard to escape. So I might as well embrace that too. So if someone is an author, let them write. If someone's a healer, let them heal. If someone's a singer, sing. Someone could be all three. Actually, you are all three. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, so it is up to you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh,
0: that's a, you know, you make an interesting point because one of the resistances I had to walking back towards music in a bigger way in the middle of 2019, when I had a huge epiphany that literally, I was on an airplane, I was channel writing for myself, I'd just done this really wonderful event in London, and I was kind of reflecting on what felt off in me at the time, something felt off, and my my guides gave me a whole load of information, which I wrote down, and they said, without music, your soul will crumble. So that was the best thing they could have said to me because that was like, oh, ouch, I can't ignore that. Yeah. But my immediate resistance was that's not what people want me for. I was very aware at that point that people wanted the healing, the channeling, the inspirational speaking, the energy update. So I was caught in my role, too. And I had to sit with that for a couple of days and then decide, well, that that's that's a contract. I'm not willing to prison myself in, and if that contract goes away because I start doing this, sure, I surrender. So it's funny, it's a reminder to me of the identities that we get locked into. And the Zs always said, similar to what you just quoted from uh, Marianne and Neil, they said your energy is what people feel. And so if you are looking after and enhancing your energy, that's far more important than your behavior. You mentioned this at the beginning of the call, you said empaths find me because they can feel me and they know I'm there. So I've, I, I feel in our culture, and I see this a lot with women more so than men at this point, because they've often been the nurturers and they've been the people who can emotionally hold space for everyone in their life to a higher degree thus far. That they're often caught in behavior roles around. Well, if I start doing what I want to do, what about X, Y, and Z person that's leaning on me and depending on me? And the Zs would always say they will either adapt, stop leaning on you in that way, or they'll find someone else who's now willing to play that role. So we also really have to trust the energy of it. And you've used the word ego a couple of times. It's our. It's our mind and our ego that makes us get into these fixed ideas of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and we've deadened the life force that wants to come through us culturally i really appreciate that and also it raises another question how much of
1: who we think we are is literally who we think we are and not who we're not, not really who we are how much of it is still in people-pleasing mode trying to get love from a parent or both hmm. um, Trying, You know, all these different things that form who we think we are, they're steps on the journey, then they might not be the final ones. So I think it's really important to always, uh, or whenever possible to be open, what's the next thing, you know, and be open and just kind of roll with it. If it feels right, if it brings up fear, great, process that fear and see what's on the other side of it and maybe it takes you in even a completely different directions. Why I joked earlier, I said, you know, so far, this is great, but it can end tomorrow. You know, I could be, you know, I don't know, doing some. I am going to be a medical doctor, but I know it takes more training than that. But, you, know, you get the idea. So yeah, I really appreciate that, that um, following the guidance, I think is the ultimate manifestation tool for really everything. And And often it's very surprising. I mean, you you know, when you were a kid, if someone told you you'd be doing this, right. You couldn't have even envisioned it. Yeah, totally. You know, I grew up thinking I was going to be a rock star. I had hair down, big curly hair down my shoulders and played guitar loud and fast. And, you know, similarly, I had a little bit of a shift even in my own music years back. I went to more acoustic, more heartfelt, Mm. you know, getting away from that ego look at me how fast I can play and just play even three chords but do it from the heart
0: and melt a room while doing it that's that's fun stuff (laughs) well and you bring up music now we have a mutual friend Barry Goldstein but you and Barry go way back and were you roommates did I get that right way back in the day in college yeah in college yeah that's amazing And similarly, you know, we both
1: joke that if anyone said to us then that you'll be doing what you're doing now, yeah, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't look good.
0: (laughs) I see this beautiful guitar behind you. How is, uh, how is music uh, in your life now? Like what, what role does that play? In and out. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I just forget and sometimes it just
1: beckons. It calls me. Funny thing with, with, speaking you know you're all about energy there's energy in seemingly inanimate objects when i don't play the guitar or this one or another one more, even more so it's very sensitive to my energy if i pick I don't pick it up for a few weeks it doesn't really sound that good mm. and it starts sounding better as i'm playing it and then if i play it the next day it kind of takes uh, picks up where i left off it's really strange it's a really tangible audible um, difference so the energy is just going everywhere
0: yeah (laughs) makes a lot of sense um a question for you that hit me that i was given yesterday in an ask me anything episode of this podcast that you're the perfect person to answer so you are someone who is highly empathic highly sensitive and here you are doing one-on-one sessions leading groups how have you learned to let go in between those sessions and with those clients, because that is one of the resistances that many sensitive people have around walking toward healing. They're worried they'll get engulfed by what they engage with. So do you have any advice on that or any personal experience to share? Yeah, there's so much and we could spend an hour on that alone. Um, There are tools in the book,
1: books, plural, that can be more tangible as far as things to do But the thing that just really felt guided to talk about even more than that right now is a level of attachment. If I'm super attached to a particular client or a particular client's outcome, that's not me being in my strength. That's me being in my fear. You know, are they going to like me? Are they going to come back, right? Um, What are they going to say when they're done? Are they liking this? Are they liking me? That's all fear-based. And people, especially sensitive, are going to pick up on that. Mm -hmm. So if I can be healthily unattached still of course compassionate and loving people feel that and then there's a freedom in me that recognizes i'm just the conduit i'm going to hear the information or i'm not and if i'm not i'll tell someone hey, i am not really getting any information I'm sorry you know try again some other time maybe or maybe i'm not the practitioner for you it doesn't happen often typically it's flowing through easily 99 of the time um, but that level of attachment is so important that without that, I, you know, I'd be like laying down, you know, doing a shavasana, corpus pose after every session. Uh, right now I can, you know, I kind of balance it out. So it's, it's a healthy uh, number of people for me to work with. Um, but the more I can remember, it's not me doing the work. The freer I'm going to be and the better experience the other person is going to have they're being loved from something much deeper than the day part of me they're being loved through source energy at that point Mm. and they feel that so um for anyone that's struggling with these questions how much to do what to do why aren't i doing what i think i should be doing really try to look at this level of attachment that you have like why are you doing what you're doing like you know where we say like know the why right it's so important why are you doing and if there's anything personal in there that You know we feel we need to do something to be a certain way to get a certain feeling to be loved to be adored to make money that's actually weakening the transmission of energy and information both you know for healing and for and for mind appeasement as well so uh it's not an easy one but it's well worth the journey
0: Did you find as you went through the years of doing it that you learned how to train yourself around that? Because I know for me, I really learned on the job. It was the only way I could have learned.
1: Yeah. I mean, I did as much reading as I I, I could, but like you said, it's it's on the job. You figure out what works, what doesn't work. And if you're like this, you know, at the end of a session, (laughs) it's not working. And, And this is actually really common. A lot of people I work with they you know out out in the world and they'll have a conversation with someone whether they know them or not just some stranger or whatever and they'll feel drained afterwards but that other person walks away saying oh you know in this case that lee what a great guy right And you're just like oh you know weakened and drained and and based there was an energy transfer that was not healthy for you at that point they were siphoning your energy so we need to be really connected with our own true essence and yes yeah, a lot of it's on the job yeah
0: what you just said there i know because i could feel it run through my body when you said it that hit deep for a lot of viewers and listeners and i i hear about this a lot in relationship questions okay. people talking about difficult family dynamics or perhaps you're in a romantic partnership or a marriage where the energy has is, is kind of shut down a bit and it feels transactional and people saying, I feel drained by my partner's pessimism. Or yeah. do you have any advice around beginning to grapple with changing those patterns? Because a lot of people have a lot of fear about shifting those dynamics, even though they might be suddenly realizing that the dynamic is not healthy. Yeah, of course, everyone's different. So general advice is maybe difficult, but what I can say is,
1: First, be aware of what's happening, obviously, but also take ownership. If you say I'm getting drained by my partner, okay, that's one mindset. And it may or may not be true. But what I think is more important is I'm letting myself be drained by my partner. Totally. Personal responsibility. It's so important. And then we take steps. A lot of times, um, sometime, well, sometimes if I'm doing relationship work or someone's telling me, oh, he's doing this and he's doing that and i say okay i get that and i don't dispute your your uh, assessment of what's going on and he's not here right now it's just you and i so how can we work together to get you to that next level where you can be in your heart self in your true self in your authentic self work with any fears around that and what sometimes happens is their partner then notices it, it could be very subtly or Or not, you know, it depends. And relationships change just by the one person changing. For better or for worse, they're going to change. But even if it's for worse, quote unquote, where you're no longer in that relationship, sure, it can be very painful. But if that's where you're kind of meant to go with this, why fight it? Mm. Right? If spirit is showing you, you've outgrown this person, or maybe that person's outgrown you. Ideally, we connect with someone we can share anything with and do it from a personal accountability place, like I feel blank, right? Um, One of the more common relationship tools that I've uh, read about was something like I feel blank when you blank. So please don't blank. So I don't feel blank. And there's a lot of logic in that. And I kind of sat with that at one point. I said, you know what? I get that. But there's something missing for me. So I really, you know, I did my meditation and I was really was really clear that it was disempowering. I am asking someone else to change so I don't feel something in that case. Hmm. So what I do now, I just shorten that. Or I put a little asterisk on it. And I say, hey, just let you know I feel blank when you blank. And I'm not asking you to change a thing. I'm just letting you know how I feel. And that put from that place, that other person can feel more empowered to make the change because they see how it's affecting me in this case, right? Whereas if I make a request and they're not really, really wanting to make that request, resentment builds Hmm. and that builds more tension in the relationship. Right? So it always goes back to personal responsibility, Now, granted in extreme cases, if there's abuse, of course, you know, get out, right? Take care of you. That's a given. Um, but if it's not anywhere near that and there's decent communication, Try it on. Say, I feel blank when you blank. I'm not asking you to change, just letting you know how I feel. And then just leave it at that and see what happens. And a lot of times the other person will kind of pick up on those cues, especially if they're carrying match it right? Oh, I don't want them to feel that. Then they make the change.
0: It's beautiful because you, in that you leave space for the person to walk toward you. One of the things that I'm very aware of that can be very triggering in boundary communication, and this is why most teachers of boundaries will say, uh, any sentence you use, you have to take the blaming and the shaming out of it. And and I think we see that a lot. And of course, if someone comes to you and says, hey, you're doing this and it's making me feel this, so I need you to stop. You know, you try that on for size in your own body, you're kind of trapped. Like you've been put into a corner and you're being told the only way to get out of the corner is this. But your version, which is great, just takes away the entrapment of the other person and instead puts the truth into the room Um, which is great because that's also when you really get to see how healthy perhaps the awareness or the awareness the other person has of of how they're treating you or or their desire to treat you well because the ones who are going to fight you on that time and time and time again That's a really good sign that no, they're not willing to value you in the way that you would like to be valued or in the way that you're expressing. You've realized it's important for you to be valued. So that's either way, that's a great beginning to changing things. Yeah, agreed. Communication and sensitives is a really interesting one because if I backtrack a little bit in my own life, I was very guilty of assuming that just because i was picking up on things in a room everyone else was <laughs> so you know it took me a long time to learn oh no you actually need to tell that person that you love and that you have a really good friendship or relationship with what's going on in you you can't expect them to read your mind and and equally even though we pick up on things we can be wrong we can sometimes be colored by our own wounds or our own triggers, or we're slightly misinterpreting what we're feeling. So communication is so key for sensitives and empaths, especially in learning to know enough about what you need and how you feel. And then the next step when you're really clear about it is finding a way to communicate that to those in your life. Because I've seen so many people have radical improvements in all kinds of relationships in their lives, when they've taken the time to be willing to communicate. And again, one of the resistances is often, well, why should I have to? Well, because we, you know, we're actually not full, even if you're one of the best intuitives in the world, you don't fully know what the other person is feeling or why. So it's interesting we're on communication because I think That for me personally, and I think for many of us, was one of the biggest breakthroughs, Like realizing I needed to communicate and I needed to do it clearly and always lovingly as much as you can, of course. But yeah, your communication can be your greatest ally in terms of moving through the world and your relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned one concept in there that really jumped out that I'm really um,
1: big on, which is personal filtering. Um, we see things through our own lens. Sometimes the rose colored, sometimes the opposite, our entire life experience is what creates that lens. And this is one of the reasons why you can ask 10 psychics, same question and get 10 different answers. Some will be more fear-based. Some will be more love-based. Some will be in between. How do we bring that into our communication and recognize, oh, I'm seeing through my lens what this person is doing, right? So if someone's getting angry at me, for example, doesn't happen too often, fortunately, but still, right? I can step back, still be in my heart, and let the energy flow. What needs to, whatever needs to come out of that person, but also recognize this. If I look at through, look at it through my own lens, I'm gonna my old lens, which is I'm gonna take it personally. I'm gonna get defensive. I'm gonna come back. My ego is gonna attack basically. So then there's ego fighting ego. It never works. But if I'm present to my own personal filtering, even if I don't know exactly what it's made of, I can kind of step back and say, okay, this is their stuff and it's showing up for healing. Can I hold space for that? And if I can't, honor that too, right? Step out of the room if you have to, right? Like we said earlier, sometimes you just gotta get, get away and it's totally okay, right? Do what feels right. The filtering is just so important and, and you see in a very polarized, planet if not just country right the filtering is it's just incredible the power of that how we can believe things about a certain group of people that we've never met that aren't loving things and eventually when we meet them we say oh my god this is just a beautiful person same concerns same desires same needs as myself Mm. right so it happens on the individual on a global scale how do we do our work to clear the lens and that comes with non an attachment and a lot of inner work and recognizing that everyone is doing the best that they're doing right someone just yesterday was asking me how can this person do that i can't believe it and i said you know what they've manifested their pain externally on you light bulb right you've internalized your pain that's why you have symptoms right What if we could bring that pain to the light and heal it together? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Right? So there's so much here. There's so much to that. I could probably go on and on, but I just want to sit with that for a second.
0: (laughs) One of the clues that I always have when I'm triggered is because I, the feeling is repetitive or the thought. Mm. It might be a new person. It might be a slightly new situation. And if I can find in my reaction history, that's always my moment to go, oh, okay, something's moving through me here that I need to be with and sit with before I either respond or before I come back to this relationship engagement and, and see what's really true in the moment rather than what's historical for me. Perfectly put what's true not what's historical love it yeah but i had many years of not you know i'm sure like all of us many years of like not getting that and uh you know kind of just playing a lot of it out um and and hopefully hopefully we'll we'll get to refine and evolve that more and more as we as we grow that that's the the aim and the hope right question for you you just mentioned our polarized world and certainly i think For me, I can kind of go back five five years, really, where I feel like the the rearing of polarization has has come up in my awareness in the world anyway, in a bigger way, just what was already there amplified. How have you done in the last couple of years, which have been certainly the most unique set of circumstances I've ever lived through in this lifetime, Um, How have you found, or I should say, what have you found in the last couple of years? What have you noticed? What has come to you or through you as a result of these lockdown experiences and the changed world that we're living in right now?
1: Right. Um, A lot. (laughs) You know, ultimately, um, a re-reminder that who I'm being is the only thing I can control and if I'm angered by someone else being in their fear and acting it out, it's a reflection of something as yet unhealed within myself. So the external is a representation of what's internal. Some people have it on the big stage, some just at home, it doesn't matter, right? We all have the polarity that we're seeing, we all have within us. Like you mentioned earlier and we have the um exact words but we have the light and we have the shadow and if they're not integrated in a truly holistic loving way the shadow is going to get more and more power and i think we're seeing that on, on a lot of places right now and maybe have been for a long time obviously everything's amplified for m- multiple reasons right now But i think if we can remember uh, that shadow lives within me how do I heal that and work with that? And shadow works, you know, shadow work is really powerful. And a lot of, um, people that I've worked with have come from a more traditional new age background. There's not a lot of discussion of this where it's, you know, you know, it's referred to as a love and light crowd. Mm -hmm. And I get that. That's beautiful. If you can be in your love and light, great. But, you know, Ram Das talks about he thought he was enlightened and he went to his family and a minute into being with his family, he realized he wasn't enlightened. Right? <laughs> so it's easy to be in your love and light with other people that think like we do. How do we bring that to the shadow? How do we bring that to people that are in a lot of pain that are unfortunately acting out, acting it out outward, you know, at others, hurting others, et cetera? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot there, but the shadow doesn't just go away because we tell it to. It doesn't really have a linear capacity. It's pure emotion, and it has to be loved into submission. In my experience, you can't reason with it. If you could, you know, we'd be done with this game already. You know, the whole everything. You know, but it's very alive in others. And you know, as we notice that, we get triggered by certain things. Like you said, what's historical? What's what's bringing that up in me? That's making me act or feel in a certain way when I see other people doing what they're doing it doesn't mean to be unconscious and have the you know your head in the sand it means to recognize the bigger picture reality whenever possible simply put hurt people hurt people how can we be you know as healers how can we be in our hearts to hurt this to heal this hurt you know, for those that are willing i think eventually everyone's going to head that way to be willing because we'll just get sick and tired of replaying the same traumas over and over mm. And I don't know if that's going to happen in a year or a thousand years, but I can only do my part in that. You know, and people like yourself and others that you've interviewed and that you know, we're all just doing our part. And that's all we can do. And as much as we can get frustrated by the big picture, let the frustration be there, but also direct it towards what can we actually do slash be in relationship to that, right? Who, 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 and how can i be in relationship to what is occurring is one of my favorite questions you know who and how can i be in relationship to what's occurring or who's in front of me right and if we can intuit that answer we've got a connection we've got trust we've got authenticity we have a potential for healing
0: i love that because it allows the flow to come back i think often when we're stuck in an emotion And then we go to our mind and we start reinforcing stories about that emotion It's because we can't move it through and i know for me uh this again this came up in a question on on the ask me anything podcast that we taped yesterday something about how how do you deal with um doom and gloom scenarios or people who you're around who are very doom and gloom and and actually for me in this whole period of time certainly in those first few months I actually found an enormous amount of power and liberation in playing out the worst case scenarios. And I could years ago, I would never have done that. I would have resisted that. I would have thought, no, no, that couldn't. But I I actually found that when I've, in those moments of fear, when I allowed myself to go into the fear, not around it, not out of it, um, I had breakthroughs. And it got me back to the very state that you're talking about, which is, where am i now what's going on right now how can i be present with and influence my environment um so i love what you said thank you and you know you bring up a really important thing that is
1: when we're in a place of fear our body goes into fight or flight and the emotional center of our body is super ignited which means the rational ability is decreased exponentially and that's why you can't i mean just think about it. It's hard to have an argument. It's hard to have a, a reasonable fact-based conversation with someone who is just yelling at you, mm. right? It's just not going to work. But how do we build up a trust where there can be some communication? But maybe even more important, how do we balance that within ourselves? Mm. How do we embrace our heightened emotional state and learn to use it for good and learn to use it, like you said, like let yourself process some of those worst-case scenario fears. It's scary. Not everyone's going to want to do it but you know there's light on the other side and this is one of the beautiful things about doing all the emotional work that i do is that uh, the awareness that i like to share is that your mind can't micromanage your emotions they speak different languages right so you can only heal emotional wounds with emotional work so just You know think about that it's like it just makes so much sense but still we're like oh i just need more vitamin q10 or whatever like all these external things and granted you might need that on the physical level but if the causes of your pain illness affliction or inner battle with your own mind are energetic and emotional we have to deal with it on those levels and yes it is harder no question and yet to me it's the only way to go i mean that can be taken in a negative way. I don't mean the only way to go. I mean it's the way I've chosen to go, and the people that I work with have found most benefit. Um, there's a time and place for everything. If someone needs physical only, if someone needs, you know, energy only. Great. Like there's, you know, we should use all tools possible and address every level of ourselves when we're trying to heal. We get very used to this very mono focused thing, right? I have a headache, so I'm going to take a pill, right? Um, What does that actually do? It dulls the perception of the headache. The headache doesn't really go away. The causes of the headache are still alive within you, right? So you can take pill after pill, you become dependent on the pill, but what if we really did the work and found out what's actually causing that headache or what's causing that fibromyalgia, what's causing that depression, what's causing that anxiousness? Here's an interesting thing that came to me recently very clearly anxiousness for many not for everyone obviously is trying to control emotions with the mind because it doesn't work the mind gets even more worked up i really need to control this energy i can't be out there screaming and cursing and yelling and crying well maybe you can even if you do it in your own home right if that's what's showing up and that's what's authentic it's important to process that and what i've found and i'm sure you have found this as well is it's very hard to do on one's own because the mind is so good at evading what's actually true. So someone holding a safe holding and co-creating a safe container for the healing is vital. Uh, you know, I had I've had some really top name people reach out to me when I first started doing this. And I was kind of thinking, why can't they do it themselves? And they said, Well, what made you think we could? The mind gets in the way. So, in a safe container, we can actually get past the mind, into the heart, into the body into the truth. And on the other side of that issue, on the other side of that emotional blockage is the freedom, the clarity, and the healing that we're really searching for, but it has to go through. And I just want to add one more thing to that because I know that can sound scary and I get that, but again, the safe container will make it less scary. The other side of that, and this is what I've been specializing on in the last decade or so, is absorbed energy from other people can create the blockages within ourselves as well. In which case there are processes for giving it back to those people. It's not wrong. It's not, you know, it's it's actually the healthiest thing we can do for ourselves, but it's also the healthiest thing we can do for the other person because they need to walk their own path. There's a quick example to make it more tangible. If I'm holding my mother's sadness, and I think to myself, my mind says I can't give her back the sadness. She's gonna, you know, it's gonna take her to the next level of that. I can't handle that. Well and I really sat with that. I said, Is that true? And Spirit said, Not even close to true, because her soul needs to walk her path. And because oftentimes it's such a minor piece for the other person, they won't even know that you've given it back to them. But I'll feel better. I'll feel more whole. I'll feel unburdened. And I've actually helped thousands of people reduce, if not eliminate, symptoms of things that, you know, major pains and illness just by going through this process of, in a healthy way, giving it back to the other person. And the best thing about that, or among the best things about that, is each time we do that, the body gets a learning. It's not just a mental thing. The body gets a learning. I'm safe, and I'm still okay if I give this back to someone else, and they're okay as well. We do this metaphysically, obviously. You don't have to call a person or talk to them, because you know they think you're crazy, right? <laughs> you <know? laughs> right? But it's super effective, super powerful. And um, when done well can just work wonders for so many people.
0: Mm. I think that's the perfect moment for me to ask you about the course you are about to start doing. So I know on January 22nd of this year, you are running a, a group course called healing the original wound. So this is very timely because the day that this episode airs is probably about five or six days away from that beginning. Um, could you tell us a little about what that experience is going to be? Yeah, it's. I've done a few of these already and they've all been super
1: powerful. The original wound is the disconnection from source, but the perceived disconnection from source when we're younger, and also the physical disconnection from our mothers after being born. And it creates a horrible level of abandonment that I've found filters and colors every experience we have from that. So many things we do are to help or to try to heal that void that's left by that separation, and they just don't work. So we look for void filling in um, online, uh, you know, media, um, dating, um, sport. It can be anything. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're doing it to fill the void, it's not going to work. So we really go into that wound with safety, you know, with love, with compassion as well. It's even under everything that we've spoken about so far. So it does incorporate a lot of things that we we've, we've spoken about. It it can go uh in any any number of tangents. I don't have a syllabus, you know, per se. Uh it just happens in the moment. I feel what it's, you know, and I'm sure you work similarly. You feel what's in the room right? And there's usually some kind of consensus that is being uh, formed by all the people there. And I speak to that, I'm just hearing the whole thing. So it's very uh, participatory in that there's exercises, not just me talking, which, you know, some people are not too right? <laughs> but after a while, you know, we need a break, right? We need time to integrate, kind of like you need shavasana at the end of yoga. You can't just keep doing yoga over and over and over all day long and expect it to be healthy. You got to Integrate what you've just done. So, this time for integration, uh, I take people through uh, group exercises like that uh, return to sender that I spoke about before I didn't name it. We also talk about healthy prevention from incoming energy. We typically hear things like put up a wall, and I get it. And there's logic to that. But let's think about it it's fear based, get it away from me, right? And fear constricts the body energy. So, I was shown a way to actually open and allow it to go through and filter it so you're not a sponge anymore. But you still can be a bit of a funnel so you can still benefit from the connection with other people you can still connect and respond to what they really need even beyond what they think they need but if you're doing this too much again fear-based you're not going to have that connection so it's a whole different way of looking at high sensitivity and empaths and all of it is discussed typically all of this discussed um, in that course of course it's in the books as well um there's no book Quite yet on healing the original wound, which is probably the one that's going to be out in fall of 22.
0: Now that we're saying it, it has to happen, right? <laughs> I think you've just I think you've just cast a a spell and a commitment. So Okay, I'm in. Come yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for today. Um, it's been lovely to get to talk with you more about about everything that you do and also some of these topics. And I know many people who are watching or listening will want to find you and whether it's your books or your courses or any of the work that you've got there, they can find all of it at your website, which is DaveMarkowitz.com. If you're watching, we will put that up on the screen. And if you're listening or if you're watching, check the show notes because we always put links in the notes either underneath the YouTube or the Facebook video Uh, or in the podcast show notes on whatever platform you're listening but love you brother and great to be with you today and uh, i'm excited for everything that you're doing next year and thank you for impacting the world in the way that you have right back at you thank you hello i'm lee harris i'm an intuitive and a channeler and every year in january I hold a rebirth course. A way for us to look at the year that has gone and let go of what we no longer need and look ahead at the year to come and see what we might want to create in our life. This year, I'm going to be bringing a lot of channeling to my rebirth program. So I will be channeling my guides several times throughout the course of the two-week program and they will be bringing transmissions through all based on empowerment When I was tuning in this year as to what the overarching theme for Rebirth 2022 would be, I heard very clearly from them the empowerment sessions. So that is what they will be bringing in the channeled messages. And I and my team will be supporting those messages with a series of video and audio presentations, all designed to help you reconfigure who you want to be for the year ahead. Stephen Washington will be teaching Qigong and wellness practices. I will also be doing a whole session on manifestation and creation and our habits and our patterns and how we can elevate and change those in order to bring in the new. And my team members, Marty and Wendy, will be adding some support videos, as well as an MP3 recording that you get as soon as you sign up called Your Garden of Higher Consciousness. Rebirth is always our biggest course of the year. And so we have a very large community from all over the world who tune in and most importantly, weigh in. So we have a community forum that's completely private and it's where you and other members can share your experiences, not only of the material, but of what's going on in your life right now and what you're looking to cultivate. So the group energy that forms around rebirth is very strong. And we also have transcripts and worksheets. And once you are in Rebirth, you will have lifetime access to all of the materials. So even though we run most of these sessions live as live broadcasts, you don't have to be able to be there live. And if you do miss a live broadcast, you will get the replay on video and in transcript form and audio within two days of the broadcast. We begin on January 17th, so if it resonates with you to join us for Rebirth 2022, the empowerment sessions, I, my guides, and my team would love to welcome you.